Hello, this is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. A quick plug before we start, my folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. And now, back to your regularly scheduled Retrotube. Hello and welcome to Retrotube, the podcast in which my friend Heather and I take it in turns to send one another episodes of weird old TV shows and then grill each other for our thoughts and opinions. My name's Adam and this week I've inflicted upon Heather the bus replacement service of Doctor Who. It's the Tripods. Tripods ran for two series in 1984 and 85 and was a BBC adaptation of the 1967 John Christopher trilogy, The White Mountains, The City of Golden Lead and The Pool of Fire. Mm, three books, two series. Something doesn't quite add up. Anyway, we're going to watch episodes one and two, plus a quick peek at four for reasons that will become clear. But before we launch into the episodes, Heather, do you have any knowledge or preconceptions about the tripods? I had no knowledge of it whatsoever. Um, I thought it may have been some sort of camera-related show. It was not. Uh, And honestly, the title did not inspire any kind of excitement within me. Um, So I wasn't expecting a whole lot, to be fair. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised, though. Uh, if it had been more of a camera-related show, it might might have improved matters somewhat, but we'll get to that. Right. Let's watch the tripods. Come on, you're keeping Jack waiting. So, Heather, this went out at 20 past five on BBC One at Saturday tea time, primetime family viewing. Did you enjoy the tripods? I did more than I expected to. <laughs> yes, I had to watch episode two because the cliffhanger ending of episode one. Uh, and I didn't think I was even going to get through episode one, to be fair. But no, it, it was uh, it, it was definitely your kind of a thing. Like, as I was watching, I was like, <laughs> ah, you know, I can see why Adam S. Leslie was uh, lapping this the hell up. Um, yes. It, I like the fact that even though it's set in 2089, um, it's uh, all, all, of, all of the fashions are like somewhere between Victorian and Edwardian and nobody has technology anymore. Plus, uh, Will is wearing a very 80s uh, chainmail snood. Yes, he I noticed, and, which is rather fetching. And the thing I liked most about Will... And I bet you know what I'm going to say now. Is it his Scouse accent? Scouse, yeah. <laughs> I wonder what France is like. Big. <laughs> Very big. Look at the sea, it's so wide. There's no sign of the other side. Yes, he's, he seems to have grown up in a village somewhere to the south of London. Yes. Amongst lots of people with RP accents, and yet he has a Scouse accent. Him and the school teacher both have Scouse accents somehow. They're the only Scousers in the village. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, a, a completely different Little Britain sketch. 
Yes, it really is. And probably would have been a far more amusing one. <laughs> <laughs> the school teacher, was, I made a note of it, I'll mention it now. The school teacher is played by John Scott Martin, who's famous for, among Doctor Who fans. He spent m- most of his career inside Daleks. Oh, you got to have a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a, a little fella that used to cycle around inside Daleks and not say exterminate. That, that job was for... He, he got to be in Daleks, but he didn't even get the fun part of saying exterminate. Oh. Where's the justice in that? Is it because they were worried that he'd say it in a Scouse accent to next I think so. Go on, you do it. I was going to do it, but I won't. That would be racist. You do. You do. Uh... <laughs> it would be racist. <laughs> exterminate yeah that's um, the one yeah it probably wouldn't have sounded quite as uh quite as threatening shall i talk a little bit about my thoughts on it please do so i watched it when it went out as i said before it was it was brought in as a replacement for Do- so doctor who was deemed to just too strange and unwatchable by like 1984 People just didn't like it very much. It had uh, you've probably seen Colin Baker wearing his grotesque coat. Um, I, I like the coat. Somebody has to. We found the person who likes the coat. We should put you in a museum. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you like. I've not got anything better to do. Uh, I like the fact that it took people twenty-two years to realise that Doctor Who was just too strange. <laughs> 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 well, that that coat kind of sums the entire show up by 1984. So they cancelled it for 18 months, and they put the tripods in it, on in its place. We were expecting at the time, because we'd seen the trailers, and they'd done a bit on Blue Peter about you know, they'd, they'd interviewed the cast, and they'd, uh, I'm sure, shown models of the tripods and shown clips of it. And we were expecting rip roaring, fast paced hijinks. Possibly laser battles. We were thinking something a bit Star Warsy, a bit War of the Worlds. Like maybe they climb inside a tripod and they use the guns to shoot at other tripods, and it would be really you know, fast-paced adrenaline stuff. How disappointed were you? Um, possibly too bored to be disappointed. Yeah. No, it was. It, I think the first episode is stronger than the second episode. Yes, that I didn't really have a lot to say about the second episode. I think I think my one and only note on the second episode was how come they've never seen a watch before but they know how to tell the time. I had the exact same note they have a clock on their kitchen wall made out of a very fetching plate. Yes. Exactly the kind of thing you'd find in a charity shop now, yes. which is presumably where they got most of their stuff. Mm. So they're amazed by a pocket watch. Yes. And this is a... It's made by men. Men made it. But but um, the clock and their wall grew naturally from the ground. I did, however... Uh, I, I, I tell a lie, I did make two notes from episode two. My favourite was the terribly choreographed fight scene in the tavern. I loved that. <laughs> it was quite fun, wasn't it? It was, it, it was something. It was quite, quite something. Quite fun <laughs> But let's let's not get too far ahead of ourselves because we've not, we've not really mentioned too much about episode one. And no, let's go back to episode one. And I think it's worth talking about the opening because the opening's quite striking, isn't it? Yes, it is. I have written giant blue Peter project lands in lake. Slinky with a grabber picks the bald guy up. 
But it's it's quite. I thought it was quite a good opening. It yeah. grabs you. <laughs> he quite literally grabbed Jack. <laughs> Poor old Jack. What I found about Jack is that he's supposed to be Will's friend. Yes, but he's easily about twenty years older than him. He looks like he's from a, a, a hipster band. Yeah. He looks like he should live in Shoreditch and play uh, keyboards in a band full of people who play keyboards. Yeah. Yes, and he would bang on for hours about how vinyl has a better sound than CD. You've met me. Yes, I have met you. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing about Jack is that he's supposed to be an example of what happens to you when you get capped. But when you see him before he's capped, he has no charisma or personality whatsoever. And there's no indication at all that he's Will's friend. Yes. So when he turns up afterwards with his eyes all glazed over, there's no difference. There's no difference, ex- except for the fact he's got some kind of a gold sticker on his head, which is actually peeling off. <laughs> he's been given it for good behaviour, for, for not crying. The tripods yeah. gave him a sticker for not crying during yeah. his operation. He was very brave at the doctor's. He's a very brave little boy. Oh, God love him. <laughs> My thought about... Actually, the opening and the, the episodes in general, that it was really nicely shot and framed. Mm. Um, it's just a shame about the really cheap-looking video. If it had been shot on film, it would look gorgeous, and whoever the DP of it was and whoever shot it actually did a really good jo- job of framing it, and, and it was just that really colourless, murky mid-80s video yes it was but it was which is a right shame yeah it was it was it it would have been a a very pretty show had it not been for that and even even the tripods were kind of you know they weren't they weren't great hulking ugly things they were great great hulking things but they weren't ugly you know no they were nice and uh, space agey and all streamlined yeah i thought they were i thought they were quite nice they were meant to be the goodies i mean you know, I can kind of see it from the from the capped people's point of view. There's like been a hundred years of no war and no nastiness, but mm. by the same token, there's been a hundred years of no creativity and no independent thought. Um, and it's a very weird notion that you can't have you 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 can't have like either like independent. You got to have one or the other. Yeah. And so does any kind of artistry. So basically all artists are just frustrated warmongers. <laughs> Essentially. I know I am. And Well, I am too. Um, but we all know that because I'm, I'm, I don't even pretend to hide my grumpiness. It does set up, I think, the first episode's really strong because it does set up these kind of moral ambiguities and all that kind of stuff. And I really... I like the bit where he's he reappears and everyone applauds and he shakes hands with them as if he's done some kind of great feat... It's quite a sort of striking, weird image. And in a way, it's a shame it just turns into a travelogue. Yeah, yeah. I think they probably could have been, they probably could have spent a bit more time exploring how how Will really felt about the whole, because everybody seemed so happy and there didn't really seem to be any kind of proper conflict before Will's like, yep, you're not not catching me getting capped. And he runs off and his cousin's like, yeah, I know we can't stand each other, but I'm going to come with you anyway. Yes, I feel that's the North-South divide. Yeah, I think it probably is. And also Henry Bakhti acting was so wooden. <laughs> yeah, he did. 
He he certainly elevated Will's acting. He did. By comparison. That's how bad it was. Just everybody who's been capped. They all belong to the tripods. All right, they're alive. But, but perhaps it's better to be dead. I know I don't want to be capped. Not for anything. Anything. The tripods killed my parents. Perhaps one day I'll find a way of getting back at them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we haven't even got to Beanpole yet. Oh, my God. No, we haven't. But no. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll come to Beanpole a little later. We'll have to. <laughs> with with his his astounding french accent that that was that french accent was certainly something <laughs> it's it's the same as an english accent but the words how you say yeah they are used in a more fashion which is stilted this is the farm of my uncle and aunt when i was younger i'd come here every summer and stay in their house and help them with their work i was here 2 years ago we laughed very much we talked at times when my parents were alive. It is too dangerous to talk with them now. Yeah. Actually, what we're talking about it, the, the line I wrote down was... Once I made an affair of springs beneath my boots to help me jump better. But what happened? I broke my leg. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He's played by Kerry Seal, who is not to be confused with Siri Neal, who um, you won't have heard of, but we will be encountering in a later episode... Oh, but that's a little teaser. Uh, it's like it's like a Harry Hill stalactite stalactites. Got to have a system. It's Siri Neil, Kerry Seal. That won't mean anything to you, but people familiar with this era of TV will know what I'm talking about. Thank heavens, <laughs> because you're wearing a baffled <laughs> silence. <laughs> I know. I'm just like oh, being southern at me. Then I don't know. I'm 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 seeding things for callbacks later. You'll this, it'll all make sense in. Many months' time. Wow, I can't wait. And then <laughs> I'll look back, I'll listen to this episode, and I'll be like, oh, so that's what he's going <laughs> on about. I wish I didn't know. So we have uh, skipped forward to episode four there, but that's really all we needed to talk about. I just wanted to w- get you to watch the beginning of episode four so you could enjoy uh, Bean Pole. He's so cool because his real name is Jean Paul, but he's tall, so they call him Bean Pole. But he does not have the accent. No, honestly, his accent isn't even that good. Well, it's, it's not even attempted, is it, really? <laughs> He's just doing an English accent with... But speaking of acting, mm. I think I think a person that we really need to speak about who's, whose performance was just quite something, Ozymandias. Not only does he have a great name, he was quite creepy. He was quite nicely creepy, wasn't he? Yes, he wasn't creepy in a Wurzel Gummidge kind of a way. He was... He was a little bit in a Wurzel Gummidge kind of a way. He's, he had a similar personal hygiene. Yeah, similar personal hygiene, but no interchangeable heads. Thank heavens. Oy. We. Yeah. I, I'm just going to put it out here right now. We are not going to be visiting Wurzel Gummidge. <laughs> well, we, we're both quite familiar with that, luckily. We, we both know that we hate it. So we can pretend <laughs> it never happened. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Sorry, all John Pertwee fans. Oh, we'll get we'll we'll get to John Pertwee. We will get to John Pertwee. We will eventually, but not there. No, but Ozymandias, who was played by Roderick Horn. That's a name for you. Yeah, that's a name to reckon with. It is. Good old Rodders. He's a New Zealand actor, hence the strange accent. Yes, because it was nearly RP, but there was a there was definitely a a uh, 
a side to it, a little New Zealandiness. Look in the harbour for a boat called the Orion. Captain Curtis is paid to look after you. You'll just have to trust him. He has a false cap like mine, but how he came by it, I'd rather not know. No, I liked, I liked him a lot. I, and I was really upset when he died. That was my worst bit. Yes, I wondered whilst watching it whether he got killed on every mission that he was trying to free boys. Because he seemed very bad at freeing boys. <laughs> and that's not that's not altogether a bad thing for, for a grown man to be there. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, there are there were definitely better rescuers in uh, in televisual and film history. Knocked over by a horse once whilst trying to distract them, and that's the end of him. And he's supposedly rescued hundreds of them. Yes, but that's probably why only one or two out of the hundreds that he's rescued have ever made it to the White Mountain. I've, I've rescued hundreds, but unfortunately, I'm really, really, really bad at this. So. Uh, Sorry. And only ever boys, because I guess girls are rubbish. I don't know. Yeah, apparently so, yeah. It's girls, a very boysy show. Yeah, girls girls don't mind being capped. No, they're quite into it, but yeah. extra little bit of jewellery. Yeah, that's right, that's right. We all like gold shiny things. Mm. And, uh, you know, we don't like making waves. <laughs> the decision to make it so boysy actually comes from the novel. Uh, I was looking into this. John Christopher, the author of the novels, he felt that girls would read books that had male characters in it, but boys wouldn't read books with female characters. So he deliberately he deliberately skewed it very boysy. I mean, I think he could have made more of a concession. But there's a bit later on in the series where they meet uh, in either France or Switzerland. They go to a chateau, I think, or a farmhouse. It's been a while since I've watched the rest of it. Um and they meet a family entirely comprised of girls. And they seem to spend an episode making wine and, like, stamping on grapes. Uh, so it does go very slowly at times. But John Christopher, uh, he wasn't very pleased about the addition of extra girls. The old lady barmaid in episode two who hit on, who hit on Will, that was a little bit weird. Yeah. You say old lady. She was she about 25. Well, I mean, compared to being, like, not quite 16 yet, Yes. <laughs> She's quite an old lady, let's be fair. This is true. Yes, when I was 15 and a 25-year-old hitting on me probably would have been unsettling. Luckily, it never happened. Good-looking boy, aren't you? How old are you? 16. Nearly a man. Oh, you're breaking us apart before you're wedded. But she was, she was a good cliché. She was a very good cliché. With all her weird tattoos. Well, you know, you've got to have a weird tattoo now and again. So, yes, as a person who is 10 years... No, you're about eight years younger than me. I am. Um, so that grade of video and that type of synthesizer used on the soundtrack would probably have been phased out before you started watching much TV. So for a primetime Saturday tea time slot, how did all that strike you with that sort of... That's quality of video and the, the synthesizer music. I, I really liked the soundtrack, actually. Um, I, I did. Um, I, I liked the juxtaposition of the exciting synthesizery, jaunty, like we are in the middle of having an adventure um, kind of music that was against the backdrop of a beautiful um, sort of Victorian Edwardian traditional English village kind of 
tranquil setting. I really liked that. I thought that was that was really cool. And I loved the theme tune. I thought the theme tune was dead dramatic. The theme tune's very good in the opening titles. Yeah, I don't I, I didn't really have a problem with the with the video cut because um like I've grown up watching way older stuff than that. Um <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know like one of one of my favourite television shows of all time is Hancock's Half Hour, which was filmed in 1960 uh, on the mm. BBC, and so we we all know how shaky and terrible that would have been. Um, so yeah, it did. It I didn't really. Uh, it was just very of its time, but I didn't feel that it was. It would have been anything particularly different to what I'd grown up watching. Um, it was probably in sort of tone and colour wise it wasn't dissimilar from you know the old the old series of the famous five it was that right which i've never seen you've never seen that it's good it's good my, si- my sisters grew up watching that and our michelle genuinely believed that she was julian and uh, whenever she played the famous five with her friend who lived around the corner joanna always wanted to play as well and michelle's like three years older than joe um and so uh, Michelle was Julian, her friend was Dick, and Joanna had to be Timmy the dog. <laughs> We've talked about Joanna before and her having to be, uh, previously she was uh, Pip the Mouse in Dogtanian. Yeah. So there's a pattern here. There, there is a pattern for me, but, you know, I'm not being funny. More fool Joe for going along with it. <laughs> <laughs> And as I as I did say to both of them, because Michelle's 13 years older than me, Joe's 10 and a half years older than me, when it got to the time that I was playing the famous five and stuff, I had to be all five of them <laughs> by <laughs> myself. It made so long. <laughs> it's made you the person you are today. Uh, yes. It's character building, literally. Quite literally. From my point of view... Because I I watched it at the time, and I think even at the time, I thought it looked and sounded quite cheap. And even like the quality of the sound recording of the voices isn't it isn't of the highest quality. It's a shame because they spent a lot of money. It got way more money than Doctor Who got, and it, it clearly has quite a big budget. But even at the time, because until fairly recently, fairly recently up to that point, most TV shows would. Um, shoot 16 millimeter film for um, location which just had a bit more warmth and quality to it and a bit more clarity i think that video is quite murky particularly in low light it loses a lot of color and a lot of definition so it's a shame that they spent so much money on it but it has a kind of cheapness and i think the synthesizer i really like the opening title music but the actual the incidental music sounds very much like mid-80s Doctor Who music which has a sort of a bit of cheapness to it as well and so I was kind of craving real instruments or at least at least a, a variety of settings on the synthesizer yeah some kind of yeah some kind of variation in the tone um yeah I know what you mean it although there was a bit of guitar music later it, it sounded a bit like um 80s Emerson Lake and Palmer later on while they're walking through the pastoral countryside. What more do you want than a bit of 80s Emerson, Lake and Palmer? Yeah, 70s Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Oh, right, OK. Fine. That's what I would want. Yeah. 
I think people might tell you that at the time it looked great, but I think even at the time I was, I felt it had a cheapness about it. There's a slight fogginess to the picture quality. Yeah, no, I, I, I see what you mean. The thing is, I never, I, I've, I've never sort of watched a film or a television show and, and thought about that because my, my suspension of disbelief is such that you can tell me I'm in a world and I'm in the world. So I don't notice because I'm in it. It's fine. I, I really don't notice stuff like uh, like camera film usage and uh, like I, I'll notice things like angles and and, and POV shots and what uh, you know really basic stuff and how they're used to sort of build dramatic effect etc. But I. I am always on board to be in the world of whatever it is that I'm watching. So you, you tell me this is where I am and this is what the world looks like and I'm fine with it. I, 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 I never sort of managed to step back enough to be that objective about things. And I think it's probably about things. Uh, but I just, I'm, I'm just always, I'm just always here to be in a, in a, set, in, in, a in a different world. No, I think that's good. I think I'm I'm overly sensitive to that kind of thing. I really sort of feel the difference when they're shooting those shows, sort of the 70s and 80s, where the outside stuff's on film and the inside stuff's done in the studio on videotape, and you can really feel the difference. Yeah. Uh, at least I can. And um, I sort of enjoy it for nostalgia purposes, but it can pull you out of it a bit, like watching the old 70s Doctor Whos and the, the, the sort of quite grainy nice textured um 16 mil film and then they go into the really bright studio filming in it both look good but it's quite a jarring jump between the two but this at least doesn't have that so i'll give it that the tripods the whole thing shot on video so there isn't that kind of obvious leap when they're in studio sets and when they're outdoors on location so that's the, it has that going for it yeah and i think it also has going for it uh, I think the all the shots in these first two episodes, at least all the shots of the tripods, look really good. They they do, they do. The only time I was kind of pulled out of it was the effect when um, they were picking Jack up and putting him back down again. Mm. That that was just silly. <laughs> <laughs> I think his Tyrolean hat didn't help. That hat was awful. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That needed to go first. Uh, <laughs> you know, if the tripods really were that benevolent, they would have probably burned it while he was in there. Yeah. Giving him something much more fashionable. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you know, they could have given him, like, a little bowler hat or something. Nice and jaunty. Yeah. Can't be a lovely top hat. hat. Yeah. Or one hmm. of those little caps with, you know, like the little whirly helicopter thingy on, on the top. Oh, are they called beanie caps? I have no idea. ones that American kids wear. I mean, that would be a, a whole new meaning to getting capped, as you come down with a little beanie cap with a propeller on the top. Yeah, I think so. It, you know, he didn't actually get a cap. He just got like a... like a. I mean, when it was on his head, it looked like it was a weird gold sticker. But when... Um, what's his face? Um, Ozzy Mandius. When he took the cap thing off his head, it looked more like um, like a really cheapo afro comb that for some reason... Yes, I know what you mean. That for some reason were, were on sale everywhere in the 80s. I've not seen one since 1989. 
but you couldn't move for them in the 80s. Everybody had them. Really? I'm not sure I've ever seen one in my life. But then I did grow up in Lincolnshire. You grew up in, you know, middle-class down southness, and I grew up, you know, <laughs> near Liverpool. So, uh, I grew up in the... rural Lincolnshire. Well, down south. I grew up near. I knew. I grew up near Grantham. You can't have everything. <laughs> but I want everything. <laughs> all right, Freddie Mercury. I want it all. Why can't I? <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you can. But apparently, <laughs> in the real world, you're not allowed. <laughs> um, I think the whole the whole program was a, or at least the first episode, felt like a music video, and the band hadn't turned up yet. Oh my goodness! Yes, yes. I and they were all wearing those kind of dystopian, baggy outfits that people wore in eighties music videos. Yeah, yeah. It was it was very much like an old Spandau Ballet video. Yeah, or Duran Duran are about to turn up, or Men with Hats. Men without hats. Men, men, people with with or without hats. We don't mind persons with headgear. Exactly. Yes, basically, the tripods is the backstory to some music video that hasn't happened yet. Yes. And and um, Will's chainmail snud is very definitely a Spandau Ballet. It is very Duran Duran sort of outfit. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think they probably wore some Spandau Ballet probably wore something like that in the video. To cut a long story short, I think you could be right. And in fact, the posh public school boy. Um, here's a lesson from episode two: never trust a young man with a posh public school accent because he will be an absolute cad and a rotter. That's right. Runaways, is it? We have to get the story straight, yes? No? You think this place never seen runaways before? I was a runaway myself. Good health, lads. The floppy-haired, blonde public schoolboy who accosts them in the bar, I think he's possibly a, the keyboardist from the band. He definitely has a... Absolutely, yeah. Um, he has the haircut for it. Um, I wrote down, that uh, right at the very end of episode one, I liked the lovely flet... I liked the lovely framing through the circular bell of they as they run away into the distance. You can see them framed through that hoop. Oh yes! So somebody was trying really hard to make it look gorgeous. Yeah, they were. Bless them. Uh, they just they just didn't have the uh, you know they 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 had the ideas, they had the artistry, but they didn't have the uh, equipment, which is a shame. It had had it been five years earlier, they'd have got film. Yes, quite probably. And it, and it would have looked lovely. Yeah. And ten, uh, five years later and they would have had, no, probably ten years later and they probably would have had filmized video and it would have looked lovely. But they just managed to hit it at that point where... It wasn't. It wasn't either and it, it was right in the middle. Yeah. The um, picture they got of Captain Curtis looked absolutely terrifying. He looked like a Christopher Lee villain. He did. He did. I would not have liked crossed him on a dark night or even a sunny afternoon exactly i would have gone straight home yeah so this is the man you have to meet up with uh, nope there's a very big nope there <laughs> let me just nope you out right there yeah you can have this nope and you can have my spare nope for good measure <laughs> look at all the nopes i have here they are uh, <laughs> i have no more nopes left to give <laughs> that's right yeah, that's that's exact. Which is a good job that we weren't the main characters because it would have been a very very short series. <laughs> you you got to meet this fella. Yeah, no, that's that's not that's definitely a big no from us. There was uh, a big buffet at the village where we just come from, 
Yeah. We're going back there. <laughs> We're going back for some more pie. Bye. Uh, <laughs> Actually, this is a note I made is that in, in any adventure story, there's always one character who's always hungry, but none of the other characters are ever hungry. That's true. I am the always hungry character. So, which is why we can never go on an adventure together, because I'm always hungry always as well. too. Speaking of always being hungry, when um, Will had gone into the pantry to nick some food before he goes on his adventure and Henry comes and finds him, and they're both like, hey, let's go on this adventure together, because, you know, otherwise it's going to be a mm. lot of soliloquies from me if I go on an adventure by myself. Uh, and they both decide to get a bag of food each. How long exactly did they plan to be away for? Because those bags of food were gigantic. What did they even take? Did they take everything? It seemed to be mainly onions. Imagine. I like that. I like that society has regressed to pewter tankards. Yes, society had regressed an awful lot. They'd regressed to doing an awful lot of learning by rote in the school. Yes. It's interesting how in these things that it's it sort of like humanity always regresses to a previous point in its history rather than adapting what it already has. So sometimes somehow pewter tankards have magically reappeared yes. and they don't have just a bunch of old glass pint glasses from before remaining. Yeah, that is a bit weird. But there again, pewter tankards yeah. are really cool. Mm. I mean, they're cool. I'm not saying they're not cool. I'm not taking that away from them. <laughs> the coolness is not a question here. <laughs> it's just why. So I'm um, I'm going to ask you some uh, questions here. Okay. Uh, what would you say was the best bit and the worst bit, or the not necessarily? You can either pick the best scene or worst scene, or just the, an aspect of it. Okay. Um, I would say um, I definitely think my favourite bit was the, was the fight in the tavern. Um, because it did, it genuinely felt like that was the first time something had actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big long stretch between Jack getting capped and yeah. a fight in the tavern. Yeah, yeah, there was an awful lot of just like nothing. Um, so I liked, I liked that scene best. Um, I. I didn't like I didn't like the capping bit. I didn't I, I I didn't like the bit when Jack took his hat off and there was the weird thing on his head. Didn't like that. Didn't that creepy? Oh, for for because it was creepy or because it looked bad. No, because it was creepy. I really didn't like it. Um, yeah, which I suppose is the whole point of the whole show. So that's yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I mean that 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 that's a bit of a problem for me to have. Um, yeah, because I think up until then. It seemed like a nice sort of, a nice sort of pleasant kind of period drama esque thing that you could get into, um, with a weird sort of. Although you knew that the the aliens were there, like it was just sort of like a weird. This is happening too, but when when Jack came back with the with the cap on, um, mm. it, it kind of it was kind of a oh this is getting real now, and uh, and it. It was it was unsettling, I would say, rather than creepy outright. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it just it made I, I, like I, I when Will looked a bit creeped out, I was like, yeah, I, I feel that. Um, 
definitely. We've already touched on it. I think the best element and the worst element are intertwined. That I think the best bit is the the framing of it and the general direction and the way it attempted to look. And the worst bit is just the equipment they had to make it look and just that it was that sort of murky, colourless video. Yes. Trying to frame things really beautifully. And there's just some, there's some gorgeous attempts in there. <laughs> We've already touched on this, so I could possibly guess your answers, but best performance and worst performance? Oh, best performance. Definitely Ozzy, our pal. He was great. I loved him and I really wished he hadn't died because he should have just been in all of the episodes, frankly. Um, he should have been like the Gandalf character who... Yeah, I And that would have so. picked it up to have a, a slightly unpredictable old older gentleman. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it was kind of like building him up to be like that and then they just killed him, which I think was a bit... Um, and definitely my worst character is Henry. There's just... Like, I just don't understand the point in him. He's literally only there so that there can be more dialogue, I think. Yeah, he's just there for Will to talk to, really, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. He's not done anything at all yet. I think if they'd kept Ozymandias, and obviously this is based on books, so there's only so much they could have done, but I think having an exp- a, a more charismatic actor would have possibly taken some of the attention away from the inexperienced younger actors mm. because they do have to carry... As we saw from watching the beginning of episode four, a lot of it is the three of them wandering around discussing things. So they do have to carry a lot. Yes. And it would have been good to have that... Um, sort of Gandalf Mendoza sort of character who's I agree older and hard to read possibly Jack as well he's Jack had a very interesting face <laughs> I think possibly enhanced by his Tyrolean hat yeah uh and it's not I think it was more bad writing direction rather than his performance but the fact that we we had no concept of Jack's personality or the fact that we should have had a scene of him larking around with Will yeah. to establish the fact that they're pals, they're great mates, and they're, they're wrestling and doing fake punching on each other's chins and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, and maybe it got into a bit of a tickle fight and then it sort of stopped and they look at each other in a funny way and then... <laughs> they go, ah, anyway. Um, yeah. And all that kind of stuff, just to show they're great friends. <laughs> I think... It just needed more girls. It needed. I more think girls. if either there was a like a, if it was a team of three and there was a girl, or if just Will was a, if um, Henry was a girl instead. Yes. And it wouldn't even like she could have still been his cousin. It didn't need to be a romantic thing. Just to have give give it a different dynamic because they they're quite similar. I think Henry's a little bit more whingy than Will. It's very white. It, it is very, very white. Just give some people of colour just to... Because it's it's the future. Where have they all gone? <laughs> there are no black people left. I think, we'll, I think we are quite spoiled now because because the, there's so much more awareness of, of having um, more diversity in television, especially. Um, and although it's not nearly as equal as it should be, it, I think... I think looking back, you do get really shocked that there are so few actors and actresses of different races. Um, And in a lot of cases, there are none. It's a completely white cast, um, which is certainly not a good thing. And I'm very glad that we we have shows and and, and films now that are trying to at least trying to redress the balance. Um, Absolutely. Like we do have a really, really long way to go. 
I am all here for, you know, for, for, for way more of this to happen. Um, but I think it's, I think it's good. It's good to, to still have these old shows to just, to show us how far we've come um, mm. in, in that sort of a sense. Um, because that wouldn't have even raised any eyebrows in 1984. It would have just been like, oh, yes, these are just people. No, we would never have thought of it. Um, no, but it's good that we now think of it. And it's it, it, it's now like a really important part of, of any sort of casting. Definitely. And, and shows that did have more diverse casting, it really leaps out at you. But that would have, yeah, diversifying the casting a bit as well, I think would have just livened up proceedings and made Jack, uh, Will and Henry and Jack just, they're all quite samey. I think very, very much that Will and Henry's characters are boys. That's true. Yes. Finally hungry boy. Serious not hungry boy. Yeah, they are definitely sort of stock archetypes, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's just indicative of, of a lot of things that were written in the 60s. It's definitely a product of 1967, I think. It's kind of 1967 going on the 40s. It's very boys' own adventure. Yes. That kind of scouting for boys sort of... We all we all have good survival skills. We know how to read a compass and build a camp. That kind of... Obviously, they get taught how to use a compass, but, but generally that sort of ethos, that sort of Baden-Powell kind of striding out across the country and being men and it's yeah very much in that vein and and i kind of understand why john christopher might have balked at them coming across an episode full of girls it's like oh i don't want their germs (laughs) yes girl germs oh girls are icky (laughs) final question i think Mm. uh did it make you want to watch more would you consider watching more Yes. Or was two enough? I think two two was certainly enough for today. Um, but I would like to know what eventually happened. I mean, I think I need to be a, a much stronger frame of mind to deal with being Paul's accent again. <laughs> I would definitely, definitely like to watch more episodes at some point. And before I started watching it, I genuinely did not think I would have that response to it. So... Oh, brilliant! Thank well, you that's very much that's good to know. To it, Adam, it was uh, it was um, it was an adventure I did not expect. If anything, you think you liked it slightly more than I did? Yes, I think I probably did. Yeah, well, series two is actually very different from series one, so it might be worth revisiting it in a future episode because it does take something of a, a left turn. But we before we wrap up. Um, we should address the elephant in the room that I've not really, that I alluded to at the beginning. It says in the opening titles, based on a trilogy, and yet there are two series. Children of the uh, 1980s, the mid-1980s, we sat through and invested our emotions into series one. And then in 1985, the, it returned for series two. So we sat there and it, things took a whole different turn and we invested our emotions into series two and we watched all the episodes and then episode then series three never came (laughs) they cancelled it i read about this um because the chap who was either in charge of he was in charge of some aspect of programming either all of the programming or just sort of like children's programming uh hated sci-fi and was just like yeah yeah we're not having anything sci-fi not not on my channel was this michael grade by any chance it may well have been. I can't remember his name, but I remember thinking, oh, 
Yes, Michael Grade, who was the control of the BBC at the time, he was the one who really had it in for Doctor Who for the same reasons. Uh, he hated Doctor Who with a passion and just sci-fi generally, which you'd think if you were the controller of a TV channel, you would understand that you're making programmes for everyone, not just yourself. So it was Michael Grade who was responsible for um, the the bad shenanigans that happened to Doctor Who, which which I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will be more than familiar with. It does seem particularly mean to only film two-thirds of a trilogy. It's a finite... It's not like he's go, going, this is going to be with us for years. I mean, there would have been no harm in it. There are only, like, what, 12 or 13 episodes a series. It, you know... Exactly. Ugh, meanie. But uh, anyway, so that was that was the tripods. It was indeed. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I enjoyed watching I enjoyed watching the first episode particularly. But we shall be back next time and it'll be your turn to send me an episode of something that hopefully I'm not too familiar with. Yes, I'm going to be uh, sharing one of my very favourite programmes of all time with you. And it is the 1964, well, it was, it was filmed in 1964, but released in 1965, Jerry Anderson's Spectacular Thunderbirds. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it already. I'm looking forward to it. I cannot wait. If you want to get in touch with us at any point, then you can. You can follow us at, on Twitter. We are at retro underscore tube. Or you can even email us if you feel like 280 characters is not going to be enough. Um, our email address is retrotubepodcast at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you. We certainly would. Well, until next time, cheerio. OK, why not? <laughs> <laughs> This is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. My folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. Don't talk to strangers, don't play on the farm, and don't go to Almondby. Heather's on-off boyfriend Stephen has gone to the mysterious village of Almondby. He went for two weeks, and no one has seen him in six months. 
The only trace of him which remains is his voice, distantly calling for help, drifting across the fizz of shortwave radio. With a couple of friends in tow, Heather sets off through a warped, distended version of the English countryside, baking in perpetual summer, to track Stephen down, and to find out for herself why everyone says, don't go to Almondby. Author Eric LaRocca called Lost in the Garden eerily enchanting and profoundly inventive, a dreamy and unsettling masterwork. This is one of the freshest and most spiritually rewarding novels I've read in quite some time. And author Matt Wazilowski described it as like trying to recall a troubling and beautiful dream. It's like peering through a wound in the world, sorrowful and uncanny and utterly stunning. This book is magnificent, like nothing I've ever read before. Thank you, Matt and Eric. Lost in the Garden by Adam S. Leslie, published by Denink Books, priced at 10.99. Look for the pink and white cover.